0: It's one of those great things about the dairy industry that it's a very close-knit community where everybody wants to see everybody be successful. And there's always people willing to help other people out, especially those beginning farmers trying to get into to an operation.
1: A whole new era of communication in the dairy industry is coming. Now you have the brightest minds of the global dairy industry right in your pocket. And what's best? You can listen to all of them while driving to a farm traveling or running errands. It's never been this good and it's never been this simple. The Dairy Podcast show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Diamond V because animal health deserves a healthier approach. AB Vista. Feed intelligence and targeted ingredients to optimize rumen function. Your partner for improving animal performance. Berg and Schmidt. Welcome to the Dairy Podcast Show, a weekly podcast where you'll find cutting-edge insights and everything that's working in the global dairy industry. R-Yeast 40 is a natural biotechnology from ICC designed to boost the health and productivity of animals under challenging production systems. R-Yeast 40 performance is supported by an unique processing technology that results in a pure product containing high levels of beta-glucans, MOS, and yeast metabolites. These factors, combined, promote the ruminal and intestinal modulation, helping the animals to reach their full potential.
2: Hello, and welcome back to the Dairy Podcast Show. My name is Barry Bradford from Michigan State University, and I have the great pleasure today of welcoming one of my colleagues to the show. John Laporte John is a farm business management educator at Michigan State University Extension. His main area focus is guiding farmers on how better understanding of their farm businesses can lead to improved decision making with an especial emphasis on cost of production financial analysis and risk management before working in extension John worked in agronomy sales and was a farm loan officer with USCA. he uses these experiences to provide leadership and programmatic expertise in production economics-based education. He also coordinates a a program called the Beginning Farmers Demand Series, which focuses on assisting new farm managers with business strategies. So, John, with that, welcome to the show and thanks for joining us.
0: Thanks for having me, Barry. This is uh, quite quite a pleasure to be on this. I've I've heard good things about the program and uh, looking forward to being part of it today. Oh, the, the conversations have been a lot of fun for me, so I'm looking forward to this one. So let's start with how
2: did you get into this line of work? I mean, there's a lot of kindergartners out there who talk about growing up to be a farm business educator, but you know, was that the case for you? Did you grow up in agriculture?
0: I did, actually. Uh, the, the county I'm based in is Cass County, and that's actually where I grew up on our family farm, a, a small corn and soybean operation. So I've been part of agriculture from a very young age and uh, got involved with our our farming operation, Uh, was one of those typical farm kids that we had an FFA program there at Kasopolis, so I was part of that, and that uh, spearheaded me into uh, pursuing uh, ag communications initially as a a degree field, and then I worked my way into agribusiness before uh, eventually going out into the workforce and being uh, a loan officer at USDA Farm Service Agency, eventually in working in agronomy sales, and then uh, here to MSU Extension.
2: Okay. One thing uh, that amazes me about you and your colleagues that have to work, especially in Michigan, across many different commodities and have at least a rudimentary understanding of many different types of ag businesses, how did you first get exposed to how
0: dairies work in, in that side of the
2: ag world?
0: Uh, that actually, the, most of that really started out when I was working for USDA. The county that I actually trained in had a number of dairies, so we had a lot of customers that uh, had loans out with a uh, number of dairy farms. So so I actually got to experience a lot of in-depth understanding of dairies right away once I got into the workforce and learned a lot about different approaches to dairies. Uh, actually, where I got a really good feel for the fact that no two farms are really the same And that's really the case with dairies as well. You might all try to raise the same thing. I mean, milk's the main thing we look for out of a dairy operation, but how people approach getting the most out of those dairy cows and whether it's raising their own feed and and just the differences and how operations really go about trying to be successful are really as different as night and day. And so I got a lot of good experience right off the bat getting out into the workforce and I'd i been a little bit familiar with some dairies, because we've, we've got some dairies where I grew up, but uh, I was uh, up in the uh, the central part of the state, and we've got a fair number of dairies up that way, and especially dairies of different sizes, too. That was a big change for me, was most of the dairies that I knew were maybe on the smaller scale, we'll get a lot more uh, diversity in looking at different sizes and scopes of operations, so... Right off the bat, got a got a good education on the difference in dairy operations.
2: Well, we're glad you got sucked into it because <laughs> I know you've been really valuable uh, for a lot of dairies around the state. So let's get into that then. So I, I, at least from my perspective, uh, 2022 was a pretty enjoyable year for a lot of dairy producers, just given the milk prices. Um, but unfortunately, 2023 looks to offer uh, tighter margins, more like what we're used to over the years. And part of that, obviously, is the dramatic run-up in input costs that we've seen in the last couple of years. Are there some general strategies you recommend to dairy producers for uh, purchasing strategies to control input costs or at least to minimize the risk of uh, being exposed to run-up in price?
0: Yeah, I'd say the number one thing is inherently we know what the inputs are that we're going to need. Yep. And I've really been advocating, especially this last year for producers to to kind of do some forward thinking, some forward planning as we're we're getting into the the year where, especially if we're raising our own feed on the farm, thinking about what those inputs we're going to need to actually raise those crops and think about like the high amount of the input. So if you've got something that fertilizer is always a good one to pick on, you need large amounts of certain fertilizers if you're raising your own corn silage, you're going to need a lot of nitrogen. And so thinking about some of those larger purchases and being strategic in how you go about acquiring that, maybe not buying it all at once, but buying at least a little bit to to kind of gauge where the market is. You know, is the price where you're at at least maybe not a great price, but is it a reasonable price considering where the market's been at or where we think the market potentially could go because there's a lot of concern and volatility that we've experienced here the last couple of years. And so just kind of planning out some of those steps of buying. Um, a great example of that is we see this a lot in grain marketing, where we kind of set ourselves up for setting some price targets. We maybe make some decision deadlines where we, we're going to get to a certain point of the calendar and we say, we've, we want to make sure we're locking in some of these products. So you kind of have an idea of how much you want to maybe buy at a time, look what that price is, and decide, do we go ahead and maybe make that purchase now, or do we think maybe there's a little bit better buying opportunity? But the idea is to be very proactive in those steps and kind of planning out when you want to make those purchases, how much, uh, maybe what's some price targets in it. It might be as simple as we've got a base price we're looking at. We're we're kind of hoping maybe it's going to come down you know 10% or 5% from where it's at so that's maybe going to be our first price target and once we get to the that decision deadline we set is the price there is it is it lower than that is it is it close to that and then kind of keep in mind when you're making those decisions what's the supply uh situation looking like we, we spent a lot of time on fertilizer the last couple of years. That's been the big one in the news. Yep. But the same thing has been true on a lot of other inputs too, especially if you're buying some of your feed. And, and we're not necessarily talking about buying um, forages or maybe if you're, you're buying some of that silage, but maybe it's some of those, uh, those minerals that you've got to get. What's the supply situation like? Because we're still dealing with a supply chain that's recovering from the COVID pandemic. And we're not quite back to where we were beforehand. And so there's still some hiccups in, in some of that. You want to kind of pay attention to where those supply chain situations are. And if you've got a product that's really maybe more of a question mark, maybe that's the one you focus on, making sure you secure that first and make sure you have that on the farm before you move on to some of the other products that you say, well, I, I've got plenty of supply of that out there, but this input I have over here is a much higher need, or at least we, we've got a supply concern. Let's secure that first or at least make sure we've secured as much of it as we can before we get too focused on buying a lot of the other other inputs we got to spend a lot of money on
2: those are really good insights john so one thing i observe when i go talk with producers on some of the larger operations one of the i guess economies of scale is often there's somebody whose full-time job is marketing milk uh, or you know, locking in some of these inputs and, and making those kind of business decisions. And on a smaller farm, you just really can't afford to have a full-time person doing that. And I don't know the answer to this. I, are, are there businesses out there that are offering those services uh, to smaller farms at a, at a reasonable cost where you can get some help to get those things done?
0: There's starting to be some of that out there. Some some of your larger input suppliers and a lot of this is more on the grain side of things. So again, with we're thinking about raising our feed, we we can see some of that where um there's companies that are offering to kind of help manage some of those decisions. They kinda help you design this base plan. Yep. And then they kinda kinda watch things for you and communicate. It's not as widespread. There's only a handful of companies that I've seen have really offer this and they're there your, your larger companies like ADM are, are really looking at these strategies what what i find really works really well for especially the smaller farm that doesn't have somebody uh as part of the operation doing that is just making sure to have some good communication with the retailers they work with yeah and so regardless of what input you're buying you know the retailers you're going to work with and there's usually more than one that that you're working with to kind of make sure you've got the supply what you need just to kind of have an idea of what their prices are, what their supplies are, make sure to talk to a couple of them because you can get a really good sense in an area of what's available or maybe the trend that, that they're seeing for pricing. Because one thing we have found, especially the last year is that depending where you're at in the state, input costs can be widely different and in availability of certain products can be widely different. And, whether it's uh whether it's feed, whether it's fertilizer or even chemistry, a lot of differences uh, depending on just where people are at in the supply chain and, and who they're sourcing their you know those products from themselves. Good communication is always a good place to start, and as a smaller operation, it's probably your number one tool in your toolkit because if you're talking to those retailers they're going to let you know because they're going to want to sell you those products, sure, and so they want to make sure you've got good information to to be able to to lock in that sale with them, and just having a couple that you can kind of bounce some questions around and get a feel for where things are at that helps when you don't have the the opportunity to utilize a service where somebody's kind of tracking that all the time for you yep oh, that's a great point thank you so
2: we're We're having this conversation kind of early spring and um this is the time of year where a lot of producers, you know, are, are needing to buy a lot of input costs, seed, fertilizer, that sort of thing. And um, it's obviously less extreme in the dairy business than in a straight up row crop business. But there are times a year, uh, you know, as as milk prices shift as well, where cash on hand can run short. And I know one of your key focuses is on how to manage short term debt. So, you know, given the unexpected expenses that firms have to be ready for, they, they understandably need to keep some cash reserves. Um, so and sometimes the only way to really pull that off is to acquire some operating loans and obviously like interest payments. So especially now that interest rates are higher than we've seen in a decade plus, how do you advise producers about how to navigate these situations?
0: One of the things that's really helpful to do is to kind of get an idea of how much working capital you've got to begin with, and then kind of look back to what your average operating income has been. So the the revenue you generate on the farm, a good target, like an ideal target is to have over 30% of your annual revenue, your typical revenue you bring in sitting there in working capital. So that working capital is is 30% of the revenue you're gonna bring in. Now, for some farms, that's a really high number. Lot. For other operations, that, that's easy to, to meet. Yeah. So uh, even if you had, say, somewhere between 10 to 20% of of working capital in kind of a reserve position to what you're gonna bring in for revenue, that's a good place to start. And that's kind of maybe the target you wanna work with in cases like we're in right now where we've got high interest rates, and I, I just looked uh, at interest rates today for uh, for USD and some of the loans, and what we're seeing now in the last couple of months is they're they're kind of doing this up and down pattern. and so what you want to really look at is how do we maximize and utilize the cash we already have on hand, especially coming off a year like 2022 where we've seen some very profitable situations for farms in in this last year. We've got working capital maybe to utilize we kind of set that target of, of at least 10, you know, if we can get the 30% and and kind of keep it there, that's great. But, you know, at least kind of keep 10 to 20% somewhere in that range in reserve, but utilize that working capital you've got to save yourself on the interest rate, but then have those operating loans to kind of fall back to say, okay, I've, I've used as much cash as I feel comfortable with. I want to keep some in reserve now i'm going to utilize those operating type loans and that's going to keep those interest uh charges you're going to have for the year down cuz you're not drawing as much out of those operating but it's a good way to utilize both systems to to figure out i want to i want to make sure we're utilizing and maximizing the cash we have but then having that additional safety of an operating loan to say I don't want to dip into my own cash reserves now. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna go make some purchases with the operating, and then if you get into a situation where suddenly prices have jumped back up again on some of these inputs, that's where you, you can kind of look at and say, okay, I've got the operating to use for that. Um, especially if uh, you're you're in a situation where you you don't have a lot of cash to work with at that point. Uh, Having an operating loan is more of a fallback is a nice way to use that, being in in consideration of using it rather than your first choice. If you can keep it from being your first choice and your first source of of financing, that's great. And that's kind of what I advocate for farms to look at is don't get too crazy using all your cash up because you want to make sure you got something in in reserve. But kind of make sure to utilize both, and that's going to save you costs overall. Yeah, that's
2: good. And I, I'll just bounce this off you. Something I've thought about the last year or two. I'd say over the last twenty years, um, not a hundred percent, but many of the dairy producers who had a very high risk tolerance and kind of put all their cards on the table to scale up have really won, right? But that came in a like a historically low interest environment, and so I, I worry a little bit about younger people in the industry looking back and learning from those lessons, but maybe they're coming into a different time period where the,
0: you know, the, the cards come out different this time. <laughs> what, what are your thoughts on that? Well, for someone wanting to start out brand new, if they're looking to start their their own dairy operation from, from scratch, dairies are probably, I would say, the most, if not one of the most capital intensive type farms we have, because you got to have the buildings, you've got to have the livestock, you have the equipment. And so you, you want to kind of think about doing this transitionally as best as you can, where you you start off small to some extent with the idea of creating your path for growth. This is where business planning is really important because you can kind of think about where do I need want to start out with, where do I want to get to, create that kind of guidance path for where you want to get to as you grow the farm. But it also is really important to think about Uh, In some cases, what it is that you really are passionate about doing within the dairy operation, what things you want to focus on, because there are opportunities to actually uh, utilize either retailers or neighboring farms that you can work with to maybe partner to do some things that uh, you don't necessarily either want to do, or maybe you don't have the capital to invest in buying the assets you need to do it. Uh, there was a great segment on uh, the uh, virtual coffee break uh, program that uh, we actually talked with a producer that they focused a lot on certain aspects of the dairy that they really enjoyed. And they worked with some of their neighbors to kind of work on some of, like the feed growing and some of those aspects, because it was easier for them to focus on purchasing the capital they needed for the dairy cows versus going out and buying all the equipment you need to go actually raise the silage or or raise the the forage. And so there are opportunities to do that. I advocate for people to kind of take those transitional steps and work with, with the other farms in, in your area, because farmers want to see other farmers be successful. And if you're in a community, especially where you've got other dairy farms, uh it's It's one of those great things about the dairy industry that it's a very close knit community where everybody wants to see everybody be successful, and there's always people willing to help other people out, especially those beginning farmers trying to get into to an operation. The other thing that I have found, and we always get questions on this, and we don't have a great system for connecting people, but there are dairy operations out there that are looking for. The next generation to to kind of take over the operation. They're looking for somebody to come on board and get to know the operation and eventually transition into being uh, the the new manager and actually buying that operation out. And so there are a lot of great opportunities there for people wanting to get started. That it, it might be an easier path than starting from scratch. And you also benefit from you've got the guidance of the of the current manager there to kind of walk you through what they've learned, how they approach things, and it's a great way to learn about what things you want to do and don't want to do when you're in the driver's seat of managing that farm. So there's there's a lot of different opportunities out there. Um and I know it can be really a frustration because there's these large dairy operations, how do we compete? But really you find those those opportunities to to start out small or to work your way into an existing operation that can be just as successful as a lot of these larger operations that are so well-established and, and can maybe be a little bit intimidating to compare against. Uh, but I still advocate for beginning farmers. There's opportunities out there. Just, just got to be diligent to look for them and, and figure out what one's going to work best for, for them. That's good advice.
2: So, yeah. And I think, I think it can be intimidating to, to want to get into business, but you know, we, we have seen examples of people who, you know literally start with with no capital no and no ownership and and it's amazing some of the stories out there of how people have grown oh absolutely um so that may be harder or may not be as hard as somebody that is um looking at coming back to a family dairy that you know so maybe they at some point can inherit um some ownership, but there's all the additional wrinkles of working with family and all those things so um you know and i I'm sure you've heard many stories like this. I hear lots of stories about, uh, it's almost a joke. The 60 year old farmer who, you know, gets to make his first decision finally <laughs> is, you know, 85 year old, uh, dad often, um, has finally said, okay, you know, time for you to take over. So that's not necessarily something, um, that's great at drawing people back into family businesses. So I know you've worked with a lot of farms about how to, how to think about transferring some day-to-day decision making or even strategic management decisions to the next generation? How do you walk people through uh, planning that and thinking through that?
0: Well, one of the the most important things, especially for if if the farm really does want to have that next generation take over, um, it's really important to start important to start getting them involved early, and and, when, and from that aspect, not just the the production side but more of the the business and the, the financial management side of the operation. And a lot of cases we'll, we'll find where people often think that, well, you're on a farm, it's established, you know, you're going to be taking over this as the next generation. You've got such a huge advantage over anybody else. And that's true on certain cases, but a lot of cases like you just described, Barry, there's the disadvantage of, You know, the person's not making the decision until they're they're a lot older. Uh, You know, they're they're close to retirement age themselves in the in terms of the stories we hear about the 60 year olds. And so what I advocate for people is you want to make sure that you don't create the disadvantage by making sure people are involved in more than just the production aspects. That's the easy thing for people to get involved in. That's the stuff people like to do. Um, And so. You you want to try to emphasize having people that ne- that younger generation involved early in understanding why are the decisions being made? What goes into a lot of those behind-the-scenes uh, business goals that are developed, some of the financial decisions? What are the factors that are kind of playing into the, the goals we have on the farm and how we're achieving it? Most times people can see on the production side, well, we're trying to increase the milk quality. We're, we're trying to increase the components, the, the butter fat, and those type of things, because we know we're going to get more money for those type of things. And we know we've got to have good nutrition on those dairy cows to be able to get that. Those are pretty easy to pick out. And, and most people on the farm, that younger generation tends to be really good at managing the herd and the production quality. But getting people involved and offering an opportunity for them to build some experience. And and what I try to advocate is it's not just having them as part of the conversation work into a way where they're actually taking on some responsibility. It's going to be guided responsibility because the existing management team, that older generation, ultimately wants to make sure things are going to be handled a certain way because it's still their operation. They've They've got to be responsible for that transition some of that responsibility to that next generation of having them go through the steps and thinking through the different factors and having the decision of this is a recommendation this is the way we we ought to go here's my reasons why this is probably the best way to go uh really i think works and i've seen that happen on farms where you've got that next generation coming in the conversations that happen is you suddenly have everybody talking about well this is going on and that's going on and we probably should go this way. Well, what about this situation that comes up? And now suddenly you've got this dynamic conversation amongst this multiple generation management team that is really benefiting because now you've got the older experience of the older generation, but you've also got the the thoughts and ideas from the younger generation mixing together and you've got this really nice conversation going on. And that's what you want to try to create for, for farms that are looking to transition, uh, especially to get those younger people involved. It also helps where uh, one of the, the running jokes I have with beginning farmers is I, I often will ask the question of, well, why does your farm do this or that? And the response I often get is, well, we've just always done it that way you want to be able to explain why have we always done it that way? Have we decided that that's the best way because we've looked at certain factors or is it just because that's the way that mom and dad or grandma and grandpa have always done things so we've just gone along with it? And I I think getting to the point where you get people involved and really taking some ownership and some responsibility in some of the decisions is going to help them to get a better understanding of what goes on besides just managing the herd and, and the milk output but really looking at the whole farm operation and seeing what am I getting into if I want to take this over and what things do I need to work on and learn is a big factor there. I think that's,
2: uh, you know, a really important insight there is, you know, this is the way we've done things. And obviously you can't start every day and just decide from scratch, well, how should we feed calves today? Right. You'll never get anything done. There's a balance there, right? (laughs) But it doesn't mean that for 30 years, you never make changes. right? And that's where I think, you know, extension conferences and things like that are good at helping just prod you. And hey, uh, we haven't really reconsidered this practice in a long time. Maybe that's something we should dig back into. That's that's an excellent point. And that's where, like you said, I think having multiple generations involved can help with some of that too. Some people to stir the pot and and, and uh, reconsider some things. So that's that's kind of the operational side, right? And I, I one thing, uh, even in in my own family, one thing that's easy to muddle is. How do we think about operational transitions versus ownership transitions? So how how do you approach that conversation? Because that maybe comes at a different time, but often it's kind of commingled,
0: right? Yep. Well it, it very often is very much commingled in in uh, what I have had the experience of finding is that farms that there were the succession planning process goes really well, starts off really well. Those who have actually started working on the operational side of things where they've gotten that younger generation involved in, in looking at the the day-to-day decisions and looking at some of the business understandings, because they have that really good understanding of the, the farm as a whole. They have a lot better idea of understanding how we think about making those transitions to where... The older generation can can exit and kind of go into that retirement mode and actually transfer the assets eventually over to uh, that younger generation. They, they have a better understanding of, of why things need to work, work a certain way and how that we go about thinking about ideas of, to facilitate that. There's a there's a number of ways that we talk with farms about transferring assets depending on their situation depending on whether there's non-farming and farming areas involved and different situations of how we kind of map that out. What oftentimes I find for succession planning uh, meetings with farms is that if they haven't done the operational step, we almost have to go back to that because we've got to make sure that that younger generation has the experience, but more importantly, the self-confidence to take over the operation because if they have the confidence and the older generation has confidence in them that's kind of where we look at the difference in goal setting because the older generation is has certain goals they have in mind that they want to achieve as they go off into retirement they they want some financial security number 1 they want to make sure they're going to be okay when they kind of turn the reins over to the the younger folks um and we want to make sure those those younger operators those new managers have an opportunity to establish themselves as This is their operation. And I think it plays a lot into how involved are they, that younger generation and those other aspects of the operation or the holistic view of the operation makes it a lot easier to have conversations about what are individual goals, uh, how do we balance some of those? Because sometimes there's some of the goals we have when we're trying to make that transition, they can conflict. And so we've got to find that balancing act and I think it, it helps with communication because communication is so important just to be able to understand where everybody's at, what everybody's trying to achieve, and getting people involved in some of the day-to-day operations and some of those big decisions that go on, you build that communication right away. And that's so important to going forward because a lot of times a succession plan will fall completely apart because families don't talk to each other. And you want to maintain that, that family connection. And so building those opportunities for communication that everybody can feel comfortable sharing their thoughts and ideas really is the building block to be able to move forward. And and it's something that you build naturally as you get uh, that younger generation more involved in the operations, actual business and financial decisions on top of the production side of things they're already involved in.
2: One thing that stands out a little bit in the dairy space compared to some, well, many other ag commodities is 95% of dairies have at least a couple of outside advisors coming in on a regular basis, typically at least a nutritionist, at least a veterinarian. Um, that potentially provides an opportunity for an outside influence to help uh, you know, stimulate some of these conversations and, and help people think about the way they should be communicating and planning. Have you seen examples of people that have taken advantage
0: of that nudge. Yeah. In fact, there's been a couple of times where it's been the nutritionist that has reached out to me yeah. and and mentioned that there's this, this family that's looking to try to make this transition. and And they've been the one that's helped kind of get the ball rolling to kind of start talking through that plan. And they, they kind of, get us all together talking and then they kind of step back they've they've got a good understanding and relationship with the farm and they're there to offer their their thoughts and ideas as we talk through but they they're the facilitators of bringing everybody together and in some cases bringing other folks into the conversation to help uh from outside the operation even too uh and but that's that's always an interesting thing for me that with with dairies, i don't find that with with grain farms I don't find that with vegetable or fruit farms. I don't really have the agronomist reaching out to me. But with dairies, uh, there's such a relationship between the nutritionist uh, and the veterinarian to the the dairy operation that uh, I, I'm not surprised anymore when I get an email from, from an individual like that that says, hey, I'm working with this farm. They're trying to figure out the succession plan. Very common, uh, and it's very helpful in a lot of cases because they can provide a lot of good information about what the farm, their background is, what they're trying to achieve, maybe who some of the, the people involved in. So it helps to to know a little bit more going into those conversations. And and they're great to be able to bounce ideas off of because they've they've seen the farm in operation. And so I always value those those other members of the management team, not just the nutritionists, but any of those members of the management team. It could be your lender. It could be uh, if you're if you're working with somebody on uh, certain marketing aspects uh, with the, the co-op that you're in, or you know, re- regardless of what you're doing, those type of people can be great to be part of the conversation because they understand some of the nuances that go into that specific farm. And I've always valued that. I I find that to be extremely helpful in those conversations, and uh, helps kind of get some of that communication going forward that we need right off the bat.
1: Excellent. It's time for our Famous Three. The Dairy Podcast Show is only possible with the support and trust of innovative companies like Fibro Animal Health Corporation, Healthy Animals, Healthy Food, Healthy World, DSM, providing innovative feed additives that improve the efficiency and profitability of dairy production. R-Yeast 40, Ruminal and Intestinal Double Modulation by ICC Animal Nutrition. Exelite by Protecta, a novel product for the management of hypocalcemia. It's uncomplicated excellence.
2: Okay, John, uh, many of our listeners really enjoy sort of the wrap-up phase of every conversation. So we've got three questions we throw at everybody, and we get all kinds of answers, so it's always fun. So first of all, do you have a favorite dairy-related book or resource?
0: Um, actually, uh, when it comes to, to dairy... I find myself, there's there's a number, I, I look at a lot of different university resources, but one of the, the questions that I have had come up quite a bit is on the question of the cost of raising the heifers. Mm, sure. And so we understand the dairy cow side of it, but there's a, this interest on in being able to figure out what what's the heifer raising side of it really cost. And so probably one of my favorite go-to resources, Iowa State's got a great uh, website with some resources, but one of them is... a they did a study here just recently in 2019 where they've, they've got actually some information on what some of those average costs look like. And we, we tried to develop a a tool for that about the same time. We, we've got a, a tool sitting out there that kind of help people figure out about the same thing. And so I, I usually compare the two of those to kind of see what our numbers were like compared to their numbers. And I think they're, they're pretty close, but I usually look to, to some of those resources probably the most because i get i get that question a lot uh a lot of my work with dairy farms will do uh financial analysis trying to figure out how profitable was the farm uh how how do the management decisions made on the farm really kind of benefit the the overall growth of the operation and we try to get into where we look at things from a, a more of an enterprise scale where we're looking at the really fine-tuned cost of production which a lot of times people on on dairy farms they think well the, the milk's paying for everything so the dairy's covering everything so you can look at it holistically that way but uh, there's an interest to kind of dive deeper into the numbers and say what are the heifers cost separately from the dairy cows and is there a way for us to improve our profitability by managing the heifers a certain way and so I, I'm usually looking at that for a resource to kind of guide me when I have those conversations. And it's one I, I get fairly, fairly often these days. Okay. I bet you've never had a conversation where the producer
2: overestimated their heifer raising costs. <laughs>
0: <laughs> never, never
2: happened at I'm all. Just... <laughs> uh, I'm sure I wouldn't be any different. Okay. So second, what is your favorite book or resource outside of ag?
0: So I, I kind of changed, uh, my, my favorite book, depending on what I'm, I'm typically reading at the moment. Sure. Um, and I actually, um, I have a book on, uh, Hall of Fame coach John Wooden that has been the, the one I've been trying. I, I I'm trying to get back to, to reading it here in between all my different uh, extension activities, but, um, his philosophy on coaching and in terms of just, uh, how to how to approach building your skill in something is uh, really kind of a nice template that I I like to use. His um, eight rules of learning are, are things I look back to, and I, I love the fact that. Uh, basically rule five through eight is repetition, 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 repetition. <laughs> and so, and, and I, I try to use that when I'm working with people that we're, we're trying to, uh, especially as we're talking to this, this younger generation the beginning farmers that I work with and we're thinking about learning some of these things it's kind of a nice go-to that I I've got, but I picked up this nice book. It's got some of his other, other little anecdotes in it and just thoughts and um things that he's uh, he's quoted over the years. And it's a little bit different taking some of the other books that are out there on him. And I enjoy it because there's usually a little quote or something I pick up, that that's kind of the quote I run with for a while. And so I, I enjoy going back to that. Uh, that That's the most recent one I'm on to. But yeah, I, my favorite book changes depending on what I'm reading at the time. I'm the same way. Yeah.
2: But I, I'm with you. John Wooden would be on my short list of uh, the most, uh, well, the, the leaders I would turn to right away. Okay, last but not least, uh in your opinion, what sets successful dairy professionals apart from those who are less successful?
0: Honestly, I would say it's the attention to detail. And when I when I say that, uh it's not necessarily that uh and and this will sound very odd coming from a farm business management educator, but I, I don't necessarily mean just the details you, you keep track of in your record book. I always advocate to keep as a detail in your farm records because you can go back and look at those details. Um, You don't, you don't just leave list feed or as being feed. You know, if you're trying to look at things like the dairy cows versus the heifers, you want to make a notation of, you know, was this feed for, for the cows or was this for the heifers type thing? But I, I think it's, it's the attention to detail on all aspects of the operation. I've had some wonderful conversation with the farms already this year, but as we've, kind of moved past 2022 and we're now into looking at how we're managing for 2023, it's the kind of inherent ability to look at the details and think about what, what are market trends right now? What are what are the things I have to do differently on the farm? Or what are the, some of the concerns I have on the farm that I'm going to have to weigh through? And what are my options to mitigate those risks? It's because people are thinking about the the little details and the nuances. They're not just throwing feed out in a, in a bunker and the cows are eating it they're they're thinking much beyond that and there there are folks out there that are wonderful producers and they whether you're talking dairies or or crops they do a great job of producing on the farm uh but the but those that can look at the details and really look at how those details influence their decision making And how they're going to improve the production or how they improve their marketability of what they're producing. I think those are the ones that are successful because even if they're not necessarily writing it down, they're thinking about it. And that's that's where some of these conversations have been so wonderful is that we start talking about what the farm has gone through in the past year and what they're looking to do this year. They're discussing all these details that they have looked at. They're they're not necessarily writing it in a book somewhere that they're gonna go back to, which which some a lot of them do that. But when you have a conversation and you're talking about you know, what are your concerns on the farm? What are what are the things you're looking to try to, your farm goals for the year, specifically in this year, you can hear those details and, and kind of picture those details that people are looking at, and those are the successful farms. Those that are just looking at they kind of get in the uh the monotony of the, the doing the same things every day, day out, and they're not really thinking about it. You're kind of more in this routine. Uh, you miss a lot of things. And so I find that the farms that really pay attention to the details really kind of look for all those nuances and, and ways that they can make even the slightest little change of improvement, how to be a little bit more efficient, uh, how to make things a little bit more effective on the farm. It may not be a huge change, but the little changes all add up. And that's that attention to detail that I really see with farm managers that really sets apart the really successful operations from those that maybe are still doing really well, but are missing a lot of potential and opportunity to, to really get to where they want to be a lot faster and a lot better. Well said, John. Thank you so much.
2: Well, that wraps up another episode of the Dairy Podcast Show. I want to thank again, John Laporte from the Michigan State University Extension team for being with us.
0: Thanks for having me, Barry. This was a
2: lot of fun. And if if you're new to the Dairy Podcast show, don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss future episodes. We'll see you next time.